Hello and good morning, evening or afternoon, depending on when you are listening to this latest Susty Talk interview from Edie. Um, and for this latest episode, I'm delighted to be speaking to someone from yeah, one of the financial giants of the world who is dialing in from New York today to speak with me. Um, I have on the line JP Morgan's Managing Director and Global Head of Centre for Carbon Transition and Corporate Finance Advisory, Rama Varian Kaval. So thank you, Rama, very much for your time. How are you today? I'm very good, Sarah, and thanks for having me and looking forward to the chat. No, thank you for, for taking the time. I know that any time of year is busy in financial services, but with AGM season sort of on, on the horizon, it's, it's particularly um, busy at the moment. And on the series, we always start with an introduction to our interviewee. Um, in their own words. So it would be great to hear a little bit about your career um, and your role and what exactly the Centre for Carbon Transition is. Sure, I'm happy to go into that. So I've been at JP Morgan about 20 years now, uh, more or less my entire professional career, always in the investment bank and grew up in this group that we call Corporate Finance Advisory, which, I, which I've been managing for the last uh, handful of years. But more recently, in 2020, in fact, we set up this new group called the Center for Carbon Transition, or CCT for short. And um, the mandate for CCT was twofold, the way I think about it. One is to design and implement JP Morgan's targets as it pertains to our climate and carbon footprint. And two is to help our clients of the investment bank and the commercial bank primarily uh, with their own transition to a lower carbon business model. And we think of those two as quite related objectives, right? Our our carbon footprint, our financed emissions, if you will, is largely just a reflection of, you know, which clients are we banking and what transactions are we supporting? So that engagement with the client and helping our clients transition is, is quite important for us to achieve our own targets. And so that's that's how I think about the mandate for CCT as I said, set up about two and a half years back now and has about 20 to 25 bankers around the globe. Got it. And we can dive into engagement with clients. But before we do, I thought I think it would be worth recapping some of those financed emissions um, targets that you mentioned. And I know that JP Morgan has um, some sector specific targets underpinning that that long term target that you mentioned, Rama. Sure. Yeah. So the, that was in fact the first order of business when we set up uh, CCT was to announce in fall of 2020 that we uh, plan to Paris align our financing portfolio. And we said we would start with setting intermediate targets for three sectors, oil and gas, power and autos. And then in May of 2021, we published those targets for those three sectors. Um, we actually published two targets for oil and gas, one for scopes one and two, and one for scope three, and then one target each for power and autos. Roughly, that's a $100 billion give or take financed financing portfolio uh, for JP Morgan. And we included in that not just the direct lending we do, but also any capital markets facilitation we would do for clients in, in those three sectors. Um, and uh, we set to 2030 target for each of those, as I said, um, sectors based on carbon intensity uh, for for each of the sectors. So for the auto sectors, 
it would be the um, CO2 per kilometer driven by the car that sold for power. It would be CO2 per uh, megawatt hour of power produced, etc. So that's the metric we chose. Um, for for power, the target was roughly a 70% reduction over the course of the decade on that intensity metric. For autos, it was roughly a 40% reduction. And then for oil and gas, as I said, we picked two targets, one for scopes one and two, that was a 35% reduction, and then one for scope three, which was a 15% reduction, all of that through the course of this decade. Um, each of these targets were set based on the IEA SDS, the Sustainable Development Scenario, which I think of as uh, the best available scenario at that point in time. And keep in mind, these targets were developed in the early, early part of 2021 and published in May of 2021 under our framework that we, we have come to call the Carbon Compass. Since then, we have actually set targets for three additional sectors iron and steel, cement and aviation. We published these three um, at the you know, um, very end of last year, along with our climate report. These targets are also intensity based. However, um, the underlying scenario for these targets is the IEA NZE, the net zero by 2050 scenario, essentially, uh, which now I think of as the quote unquote best available scenario. So there is a little bit of uh, difference, if you will, between the original scenario and the current scenario. And that's something that we've been thinking about uh, how to reconcile, if you will, going forward. But uh, nevertheless, we have targets, financed emissions targets based on carbon intensity for six carbon intensive sectors at this point in time. I found it interesting reading the report that, as you mentioned, that when these targets were published in May 2021, um, your company became the first large US bank to set in uh, portfolio level sector specific emissions intensity um, targets, because over over here in Europe, we've been seeing that from banks for a while. We're actually seeing a lot of engagement with banks asking, is there any way to get this to be um, to be absolute rather than intensity based? Is there any chance of covering additional sectors? So what what are what are your company's plans to to look at that going forward? Will we see maybe absolute targets or targets for additional sectors anytime soon? So you're right, we were the first large US bank uh, to set portfolio level targets in May 2021. We might have been the first U.S. bank, period, um, but we were not the first bank per se. I think a couple of European banks had already done something quite similar at that point in time. Um, and the question of absolute emissions versus intensity is one that we debated quite extensively um, when we set our first set of targets, and we continue to debate that. And you know, I'll start by by stating the obvious that. Absolute emissions clearly are what drive temperature outcomes. And if that's what we're trying to solve, absolute emissions have a pretty material role to play here. But having said that, our thought process for picking intensity in the first instance and for continuing with that, at least to date, is we wanted a metric that was um, decision useful. So think of it, you know, what, what are we doing with these targets? We are trying to incorporate these targets into decision making at a transactional level, right? So when a, a, a transaction is presented to us, which is in scope, 
and is covered by these targets, we want to decide the impact of proceeding with that transaction on our glide path to our own target. And viewed from that perspective, an intensity-based target is far more decision useful, right? Uh, if it was simply an absolute emissions-based uh, target, then there'll be a huge bias to do small, you know, transactions with smaller clients, which might have a smaller absolute emissions footprint, but might not be the most efficient at whatever business that they run, right? So we didn't want a size bias to drive the uh, the you know the entire decision making process here. So intensity with the normalization <clears throat> based on the output of that company in whatever sector they're in is far more decision useful for us, right? So that that's the reason why we picked intensity. Uh, we debate the the relevance of absolute emissions targets all the time. We have in fact committed uh, as of our last climate report to reduce the absolute emissions number um, for all car, you know, relevant carbon intensive sectors starting this year. In fact, so we will at least have a number out there. But from a target setting perspective and using it to make decisions, I still feel like intensity is a more useful metric compared to absolute emissions. But again, that's something we debate all the time and we will continue to do that in my, in my mind. Um, and then to your the second question, there are additional sectors. And that's also something that we look at quite closely. If you, as I said, we have already uh, put out targets for six carbon intensive sectors, but there are a handful more left. If you look at the list of carbon intensive sectors as published, let's say by the NZBA, uh, the Net Zero Banking Alliance, you still have shipping and trucking and uh, real estate and ag, for example, that are outstanding for us. So we will absolutely be looking at the best approach to to tackle those sectors over time. That makes sense. And I wanted to come back to something you said about the um, the idea behind having intensity based um, targets. You mentioned that you need transaction level decision useful um, information and something we always get asked about, you know, transitioning a finance portfolio uh, is how do you balance engaging with big and high emission companies, investing in new and clean industries, and then um, divesting from companies in high emission sectors that just aren't moving fast enough um, whatsoever. So it'd be great to explore a little bit more about how JP Morgan Chase balances that. And I know you've mentioned the carbon compass, but we haven't really dug into what that is and how that can help um, with, with this balance, Rama. Sure. Yeah, I like the word balance because it is in fact a balance. And, um, you know, the events of the last 12 months uh, from a geopolitical standpoint clearly have complicated the issue. But even before that, right, when we put out our methodology, our targets and our philosophy, we did emphasize the need to balance the near term need for energy security with the longer term need for energy transition. And felt at that time that you know that it was always going to be difficult, but a manageable task. And you know at least the fact that it is going to be difficult has been proved out, unfortunately, quite uh, strongly in, with the events of the last 12 months, right? Uh, but the idea is that we want to engage. So by the way, I should also mention yet another target we put out at the same time as our Paris Alignment target, which was to finance or facilitate at least a trillion dollars of green 
um, companies or green projects over the course of this decade. So that's that's also something that we we care about deeply, trying to to encourage companies, whether they are you know green to begin with or transitioning, regardless, but to help them um, finance green projects, right? So that that's a target that we we track very closely. We are making fantastic progress on that as well. Um, so the approach when we go to talk to clients is in carbon intensive sectors is to offer them all the tools that are available to us, right? So whether it's our balance sheet, our network of other investors who might be investing in certain technologies or certain types of projects, our network of other clients who might have solutions, commercial solutions to problems a particular client might be facing, right? So we want to lead with all of those and offer our help to our clients and see how that could help them transition their own business from wherever they are today to where we think uh, they might want to go to, right? So that's the big picture philosophy. And I would say that on a very granular level that happens every day here at JP Morgan, right? We go talk to our clients about their business strategy and uh, we offer them our help. And what I've, I've said a few times now is that business strategy, financial strategy, and sustainability strategy are all merging at the end of the day, right? The CEO sitting at the top of any company has to decide what's best for their stakeholders, factoring in all of these things, right? And these are not independent decisions that they make. And we want to be able to go and provide them insights that take into account all of these things, right? And we do that all the time. But having said all that, we have also said publicly that there might come a time when certain transactions just don't work for us from a from a from the perspective of the risk and the reward embedded in them. And you know when that happens, we will absolutely have to uh, take the right course of action for J.P. Morgan, and that might that might mean saying no to certain transactions. So that's again not something that we are you know we are not accustomed to. We say no to transactions again every day if they don't fit into the J.P. Morgan risk reward framework. And I absolutely foresee that being the case in the future with carbon and climate factored in as an additional source of risk and reward. Right. So that's that's how we think about the world in terms of carbon compass and the framework. Look, um, you know, carbon compass laid out one the methodology and the target, but then what we have done behind the scenes, one that I, I feel is quite groundbreaking work, is developed what we call a carbon assessment framework or a CAF. Think of that as akin to rating companies for their credit quality. Now we rate companies on their carbon footprint and use that CAF score or carbon assessment framework score as part of the decision making at JP Morgan, again at the transaction level. Right? So that's that's the foundation we have set over the last 18 months. Now any any in scope transaction has to go through this assessment. This outcome of the assessment becomes part of the decision-making process at JP Morgan for all in-scope transactions. So that I see as kind of the really the anchor uh, on which our our own glide path to our 2030 target is based on. That makes sense. We often hear something like that described as as a lens, but I think an anchor is a good way to talk about it. Um, as as well. And I wanted to come back to what you mentioned as well about opportunities, um, reward as well as risk. Um, and we've talked about a commitment to invest in growing clean um, industries to the tune of one trillion US dollars um, in green initiatives by the end of 2030. 
Um, and at least where I'm sitting in the UK, we're recording this just before the budget. All eyes are on um, increasing clean investment. The Chancellor's under a lot of pressure to respond to um, EU and US subsidies for um, clean energy. So I wanted to ask, as a bank that's in, in the US, what JP Morgan made of um, the Inflation Reduction Act and how that will help the bank reach its its green financing target. Sure. Look, as a you know, as a global bank headquartered in the US, the regulatory changes anywhere in the globe matter to us, and we pay close attention. The Inflation Reduction Act, I, I would think of as a very very significant piece of legislation not just from a U.S. context, but I think from a global context when it comes to clean energy transition. And the quantum of tax credits, which was initially scored at roughly $400 billion, but given that a number of these these credits are uncapped, the actual tax credit quantum might be the multiple of that 400. And then you add on top of it any private capital mobilized to actually you know, start the, the project and develop the project, we're talking a couple trillion dollars easily of capital that will be mobilized directly as a result of the IRA over the course of this decade. That's, that's a huge number, of course, but you annualize that, you're talking about a couple hundred billion dollars, which is still a big number, no doubt, but you put that next to the need for you know, four to five trillion dollars of financing on a global level, if we are to be on a net zero path, then what it also demonstrates is that there is more work to be done. More financing has to be mobilized. And from JP Morgan's perspective, look, we are excited about the opportunities that the IRA will produce, is already producing. But we also think that we as an you know, uh, actor in the private capital markets, we could actually do a lot more, right, on top of whatever these subsidies are provided by the IRA or others. And if you look at uh, you know, things like carbon capture, things like green hydrogen, sustainable aviation fuel, whether it's EVs, there is a lot of technologies which are, I think the cost equation of these technologies has materially changed post the IRA. And the likelihood that these are commercially viable you know, sooner has increased a lot, right? And so that that will absolutely be a catalyst for pulling in capital. And so it's not surprising that other jurisdictions around the world are looking to also do something along the same lines. I believe in the UK, you mentioned, you know, carbon capture and nuclear have been talked about as likely candidates for attracting more capital. Um, so that, that to me is a, if anything, it's a virtuous cycle of trying to see how do we put enough capital to work against a number of these essential technologies if you are to actually be on a net zero path. So it's it's again to, to me it's it's all good news. I'm glad to hear such optimism and to hear talk of yeah you say it's virtuous circle. I've heard it called the race to the top. Um, but also from where I'm sitting, we also see a lot about you, you know anti-green finance backlash in the US at this time um, of economic turmoil. So the Inflation Reduction Act is obviously massive. Um, but the Biden administration had been pushing for more fi finance and less was signed off than intended. And then in the private sector, we see a lot in the news about anti-ESG movement for private finance in the US. Um, so I wanted to get your views on whether this is as big of a deal as it looks from the 
outside or whether you know the the main wheels are in motion and the direction of travel is is pretty clear in this regard look i i'd like to think that the direction of travel is pretty clear um it's not going to be a linear path uh, nothing ever is but when it comes to if you look at the ira by the way i think of the ira the bipartisan infrastructure bill that was passed a little before that and the chips act in a way as loosely at least loosely related and you, when you look at it from that perspective right, what i see is strong legislative action that is going to be a pretty big positive for the us economy whether it's for jobs or you know ensuring certain processes etc for national security so to me it just is it's good policy it's good politics from a us perspective that's how i see it the esg question you posed look i've, I've said it now consistently for the last 2 3 years the esg acronym has never sat well with me to be very honest um not because you know the the various um dimensions of esg are not all important it's just that they don't necessarily all fit together and if you want people to have one viewpoint on such a variety of issues covered by esg that is just a that is not going to ever happen anywhere in the world so to me i think of them as you know distinct issues right when it comes to e e itself of the esg has bunch of different issues we have really only talked about carbon and climate so far there are clearly other issues which are environmental related and i think each of them is important enough and complex enough that we should be spending time on them as independent issues as opposed to just kind of using an esg umbrella that's at least my viewpoint so i'm not i'm not entirely surprised that there are lots of different viewpoints on esg uh, but when it comes to things like uh, you know more jobs better financing national security i think once you kind of you know frame what we are talking about in those terms i think it's far easier to build consensus that makes sense i mean there's not even a fixed definition of what esg is what what issues should be covered how they should be be wait it so yeah completely get that and um rama it was nice to um have a conversation about about finance that that had such a positive eye on the future so thank you very much for coming on our susty talks today thank you thank you sarah i enjoyed it um love to come back whenever whenever you want to do a follow up